The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. When you can stack your step-ups, good things are happening. Trust me, it'll make sense after the podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire with Style. I'm Wade, and I'm here with Alex. Hey, Alex. Good to have you on the show. Hello. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Wade. Host, Thanks for having me. Host of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and today, we're going to do a, a mini arc within an arc. We're, I think we're, we're going to start talking about variable annuities, and I'm, we both started talking at first it was just going to be one episode but i think there's so much content that we can probably have two episodes on variable annuities so we'll get started with it see how far we get along and then as needed pick up in a second episode on this so think of this as part one of variable annuities are you excited alex hey twice as nice (laughs) (laughs) no yeah most definitely we're we're going through it and it's just we realize even the last few episodes it's just such it's just a big deal, just the naming conventions and just understanding the definitions that there that takes time to just, to just digest that. It's yeah. like, I'm sure you had no problem with this, way, but it's like taking like high school geometry or something and you're just learning isosceles and, and all these sort of terms. <laughs> and you almost need to learn the terms first before you can begin to apply them in calculations and the like. And I think, I think there's a little scaffolding that we need to put in here as opposed to just... Mm-hmm creating a deluge of information, right? Yeah, fair enough. And and that's going to be another issue as we start talking about variable annuities. That it, and this came up at the Alliance for Lifetime Income Summit, but it's something I've been thinking a long time. There's no standardization, even with the terms. So I'll, we'll be using one set of terms in this, but we'll have to point out that these go by a lot of other names at different insurance companies. And it's just a matter of Every company is looking for an edge in how they market the products they create. So there's no universal or standardized way to talk about any of this either, but we'll do the best we can to to give everyone a good overview. And that does require introducing even more vocabulary into the conversation as well. I I think the the cynic can say, oh, uh, is the obfuscation done? So there's pricing advantages and, you know, sort of taking advantage of the consumer and the like. I mean, maybe there's some of that. It's hard to, I don't think someone gets in a in a room and decides how are we going to confuse folks. <laughs> but I, I do think what happens, unlike, let's say, stocks or mutual funds, is that these are all, annuities are effectively individual contracts and, con, and individual contracts run by individual companies. And so they each have some idiosyncratic, workflow mm-hmm. with, within their companies that different that different than others. There's no like stock exchange clearinghouse where you put a bid, ask spread, there's a price and things right. are bought or sold. It, it's, it doesn't function like that. Remember, these are ultimately contracts. And so that just makes it, that just brings in a whole host of uh, considerations that are, that are specific to each firm. Wouldn't you say, wait, I, I think it has more to do with that than anything. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's where as well, it's just a matter of company A thinks a better term to use is X, company Y thinks a better term to use is Z. And, and so it's just, there isn't standardization, but there isn't, you're right, no central clearinghouse. It really is up to each company to develop the contract in the manner that they think is most appropriate. And with that, we enter the, li- the, the of land caveat. of elucidation, <laughs> right? Right, Wade? That's right. <laughs> So the episode's about variable annuities, but to be more precise, we're talking about deferred variable annuities, which flashback from previous episodes. What does that mean, Alex? <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm having flashbacks to Mary Beth and the social security quizzes. No, no. Effectively, the term, def- an immediate, immediate income annuity that, I mean, an income annuity, they're immediately annuitized, right? So a uh, single premium, mm-hmm. immediate annuity, you're receiving the payments at that point, but it's been annuitized. A deferred income annuity, it's in, it's annuitized the moment you sign that contract, but you're just receiving the payments later. Here, mm-hmm. a deferred annuity, you know, with, with guaranteed living withdrawal benefits and the like, it has not been annuitized. And right. that's something that's, that's very, very important. And this actually the first, my first time around, I remember this. When I was studying this years ago, the, the first time around, and you start hearing this, it, it hit me afterwards like, oh, they're not annuitized. I get it now. You know, it, it, it takes a while, especially mm-hmm. as income comes in from the writer. So these deferred annuities follow the English convention of the word deferred annuities in the sense that it's they're not annuitized yet. Did, did I pass? That's right. Did I pass, Wayne? Yes, you got it. You got it. And and just as a note, there is something called an immediate variable annuity where you are annuitizing the contract, but they're so rare uh, that we won't even really get into the discussion of them. And, and to be clear, what we are talking about is not immediate variable annuities, but deferred variable annuities where the decision to annuitize the contract is being deferred to potentially never happen. But if if you have a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that enters the settlement phase because you have spent down the underlying asset base, then you could think of that as when the contract is annuitized as well. Exactly. It's almost like in, in these manner, in, in, in these sort of contracts, they're annuitized when things have gone, you know, when, when, you know, they're in the money, you know, if you will, you, you'll get into that. I don't want to get ahead and go off on the topic, but I would say this, I know DPL does this survey of advisors and they ask them questions like this and many, many advisors get this wrong. And so it, it's one of these weird things. It's almost like, I think they, they study for it to get their certifications and that's it. You know, they move on to other things and, you know, it's, it's forgotten with normal decay of, of things. So there you have it. Kind of an interesting Mm -hmm. nugget. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so to just be clear about, because we're talking about deferred variable annuities, these are not irrevocable decisions because annuitizing is what makes it irrevocable. You can have liquidity with a deferred variable annuity. You can access the underlying contract value. Most contracts would have some sort of free surrender where you can take a a certain amount out before being hit by the surrender charges, which could exist in the early years of the contract if you want to take out more than the allowed amount. But if you're using this as a long-term tool, which you should be doing, it's not meant to be a short-term tool, you generally wouldn't have to worry about surrender charges. And otherwise, the point is, these are liquid contracts. You can get your money back out of them. You're not annuitizing the contract. 
And to, in particular, in these episodes, when we talk about deferred variable annuities, we'll leave that RILA conversation to the side. We're not talking about registered index linked annuities yet. We're talking about the variable annuity with the subaccounts, where you're choosing investments, underlying quote unquote mutual funds. They're not technically called mutual funds, but it's the same idea for different stock asset classes, bond asset classes, whatever is available in the, the universe of options you have with that contract. You're choosing the subaccounts and you have a contract value. Now, that contract value, that's the first term we're hitting here where different companies call it different things. It may also be called an account value. Uh, I think that's the other more common term, but I tend to use as a default contract value. It's the value of the underlying assets in the contract. Wait, re- real quick before we get into the, the down and dirty. It, it's relevant since we, we set it up a little bit in the previous episode. Who would, <clears throat> from a RISA perspective, from a retirement income style awareness perspective, what 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 quadrant is this hitting? Mm-hmm. We're at this point really on the right-hand side of the RISA matrix because it is the more probability-based. You're, you're going to choose sub-accounts to focus on growing the assets. And then if you add a lifetime income benefit, uh, it is very much the heart and soul of what the risk wrap strategy is trying to do. Give you exposure to market growth, but putting a guardrail around that so that you know you have protected lifetime income even if the markets don't cooperate and you end up spending down the underlying asset base. So risk wrap yeah, is the and, two and, word answer. And the that. last <laughs> point I would add to this, because it, it, it goes with the first episode we did is because they're providing guardrails, you can't compare these apples to apples to mutual fund expense ratios. And we'll get into the expenses on these, but there's, you know, there's, there's, machinations that need to be done by the insurance companies to be able to provide these guardrails that, you know, that they go under a line item, but they're, they're not comparable to just a mutual fund expense ratio. You know, they're, they're, they're doing things to make, to, to make sure that they can annuitize it if that time ever comes. And they, so the, and so they can also though provide these guardrails for you along the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we will talk about fees because when, when you hear the idea that annuities have high fees out in the general like consumer media, generally that is a specific, uh, specifically referring to variable annuities <laughs> as being the quote unquote high fee type of annuity. So we will be talking about fees in our conversation, but that'll be a little bit later. We got to get through all the mechanics first of what these are all about. All right, man. But yeah, open, you're, open. you're investing in sub accounts. Open that hood. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> And then if you're using it as an investment-only variable annuity, the idea would be you're trying to achieve tax deferral, not looking for lifetime income, but using it more as a tax play. But we're going to be mostly focused on the case where you do choose from an optional guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit that is an optional rider that will have a fee or a charge as well, but that generates an allowed amount of income you're willing to, or distribution you're willing you're able to take each year you can take up to that distribution amount and by doing so as you do that if you ever deplete the underlying contract value that triggers the guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit to enter a settlement phase where they will continue the insurance company will continue to provide that payment amount on an ongoing basis 
for the rest of the life of the annuitant and or annuitants, the individuals on whom the, the contract is defined in terms of their mortality. So that's, that's the idea that we want to dig into here. Now, behaviorally, and that's when we talk about the RISA, the Retirement Income Style Awareness, we talk about risk graph as being more of a behavioral quadrant. Because at the end of the day, you could achieve the same sort of outcome with a life-only income annuity and stocks. But behaviorally, it, it can be complicated to choose the life-only income annuity where you, you do make that irrevocable decision you're exposed to the quote-unquote hit by a, a bus risk. And then with your investments being 100% stocks with what's left, that's also troubling for a lot of people, even though they can justify through the risk capacity of knowing they have this protected income from the income annuity. But behaviorally, life-only income annuities and stocks are rough. And so the deferred variable annuity with a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit, which was really just developed in the 1990s, provides a behavioral way to get the same sort of outcome within one financial product so that you it's as a deferred variable annuity, you have the contract value. It's not an irreversible decision. You have technical liquidity. You, you can get the funds back. Now you, <laughs> just like a brokerage account, if you've allocated these funds to provide a lifetime income, you may not have the true liquidity because this is earmarked for your future spending, but you do have the technical liquidity, just like in a brokerage account. And you, you're not sacrificing the asset with an irreversible decision. You still see the contract value as part of your statements in terms of what are the assets that you own. So it's no longer the, like with Social Security or an income annuity, you have this huge asset. It's just you don't see its value anywhere on any sort of financial statement. You can see the, value, the contract value of the variable annuity on your financial statements. If you with the protection... That may help you to feel more comfortable investing more aggressively. And also behaviorally, with the protection in place, not only might you invest more aggressively, but if it gives you the comfort to stay the course and not panic after a market downturn, that's an additional benefit as well. Wait, uh, quick question here. And I'm going to go with a guarantee supports aggressive investing because I've, I've heard you speak about it a bit. I, I think you've even re- referenced Moshe here a little bit, but... Some folks, it, it's weird, but do you want these to go underwater quickly so you take advantage of the settlement period and, and annuitize or and annuitize it? You know, because let's say it supports aggressive investing. You know, you can get the upside and, and the like, but some folks are saying, "Heck, get one that it goes underwater quickly and then you can annuitize it." Which you know you can't guess just the same, but you follow what I'm getting at from the annuity standpoint. Uh-huh. And it's not so much that you want it to go underwater quickly in the sense that you want the markets to tank. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. The, if the markets <laughs> tank, you'll be okay, but you don't specifically <laughs> want that. You're all else the same. You'd like the markets to do well and to get growth and step up opportunities and maybe never outlive the contract value. But the important point there is there is an important point, And it's if you're paying for this protection, you want to take advantage of it. And that means you want to take the allowed distribution amounts. If you're not taking the full allowed distribution amounts that the guarantee provides, you're less likely to ever deplete the underlying assets. And you're, you're paying for insurance that you're less likely to ever need. So really, the, the statement there that relates to what you're saying is take the distributions. The insurance companies will create different ideas that will encourage you to delay taking distributions. And that's the, actually what we got to get into with some of the vocabulary about roll-ups and so forth. But at the end of the day... 
the sooner you start taking the income, the uh, the more likely are you are to benefit from the insurance. The more likely you are to deplete the underlying account through spending, and therefore trigger the settlement phase where you have this protected lifetime income. The insurance company is on the hook to provide those payments. Are you a financial professional looking to learn more about the RISA and retirement income best practices? Well, if you are, you should join our Retirement Income Masterclass on Monday, August 28th and Tuesday, August 29th. You can sign up at resaprofile.com slash advisors. That's resaprofile.com slash advisors. All right. So Get your right. papers and pens out and start writing. Yeah, yeah. That's where we now got to talk about so we had the deferred variable annuity. You invest in sub-accounts. Now we have to really explain what the guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit is all about. And that requires introducing some vocabulary. Now, one of the terms I'll use is benefit base, but this also goes by different names. It could be known as the income base. Uh, it could even be called the phantom income base, although I don't think any insurance company does that. It would be more... <laughs> Phantom would be someone just describing what it is. But but what it is, the benefit base, the term I'll use, it's this hypothetical value that's used to calculate the guaranteed income. It's not a value that you have accessible. The, what you have accessible is the contract value of the assets in the annuity. But the benefit base could be more than the contract value. It could have achieved new higher values well above what the underlying contract value is. You don't have access to that, but that is used in the calculation with the guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit to determine what your guaranteed distribution amount is. And that benefit base can grow for two different general reasons. The first is there could be a roll-up rate. And a roll-up rate is, is just some sort of fixed return provided each term or each year generally to grow the uh, benefit base over time. It could be a simple or compounded return. It could even, there are some contracts that have a 10% simple return, which is just the, the benefit base will increase by 10% of the premium amount each year for a certain amount of time. Usually there's some sort of limitation on how long you get these roll-ups for maybe 10 years, or it may be up to a certain age, but it, it you got that idea. And that's where there's a lot of confusion. If I have a 10% a, a simple roll-up rate on my annuity, that would quickly and easily be misinterpreted as my money is growing at 10% a year. That's not what it means. And, and to be clear, that's a, usually your money grows with a compounded rate of return. So that growth upon growth rather than just growth on the initial benefit base. But still, that's not what it means. This is just purely a hypothetical calculation to determine a benefit base. Your, your underlying contract value is not growing at the roll-up rate. It could grow by the roll-up rate, but that's a completely separate consideration. It depends on how the underlying uh, sub-accounts are performing. Okay. And then you also have step-up opportunities. If the contract value grows to achieve a new high watermark to actually have that contract value be worth more then the benefit base would be based on its rollups. Then you can reset the benefit base, on, and usually only on a whether it's an annual, monthly, daily. Annuals the most common, or quarterly, but on particular dates you check the value of the contract, and if it's at a new high watermark level, 
you, you step up to that and the benefit base is reset to that new high watermark level. Okay. Now that being said, another issue is does the contract provide stacking, which is really getting into the weeds, but it's important. If the contract has stacking and you achieve a new high watermark to step up the benefit base to a new high level, the roll-up rate then applies to that new level rather than continue and apply to the initial premium. If there's no stacking, even though you have a new high watermark, the roll-up rate continues to apply to the, uh, to the initial premium. So it may take a while for those roll-ups to catch up to that new high watermark again. All else being the same, stacking is a, a better thing than not having stacking because it gives you more opportunity for benefit-based growth. And then the final vocabulary term is just the guaranteed withdrawal rate. What's the payout schedule on this, which is usually not gender-based, but age-based. And it's usually within age ranges. So there may be one payout rate for ages 60 to 64, another payout rate for ages 65 to 69, and, and so on and so forth. And if you're close to one of those borders where there's a, a kick, an increase in the payout rate, that's one of the few scenarios where Moshe Malevsky suggests hold off, defer on the start of the income. Uh, otherwise, generally, the, the finding is start taking distributions as soon as possible. So that's the vocabulary. I, I think your looks like your eyes are glazed over a little bit there, Alex. Did you? No, no, no. Okay. I'm, I'm letting you speak. No, I mean, look, the reality is I want to <laughs> add color, but it's like, no, I, I, you know, it'll, 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 it'll ruin it more than help. So you're on a roll. A, but I mean, if I'm looking at it, if there's anything to add since you said it is, just look at the interplay. If I'm telling the, the consumer something here, or the advisors even, look at the interplay between these, right? The anchor to all of this is the contract value. And then variability is introduced by the benefit base and the roll-up base, you know, f- from that standpoint, and then leads to step-up opportunities and stack. And there's kind of a an order of operations to these, you know, and, and try to understand them like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and the roll-up rate, if the contract has one, generally only applies during the phase before you start taking the lifetime distributions, the, the quote-unquote deferral phase of the contract. It's a deferred annuity, and it has a deferral phase. If you're waiting on taking distributions, the roll-up rate would apply then. The step-up opportunities generally apply both during the deferral period and the distribution period. It's just once you start taking the guaranteed distributions, it's harder and harder over time to have step-ups to new high watermarks because <laughs> the contract has to still grow in value net of your distributions and fees, which may, ca- may happen in the early years of the distributions, but over time becomes a bigger and bigger challenge to continue. So the step-ups would continue to increase the guaranteed income when they happen. So to your point about spending on the asset base, no, if the contract continues to grow in value, you may never be, the insurance company may never be on the hook to pay you out of their pockets, but you could be getting step-ups, which support more and more guaranteed income well, over time. You're talking about guarantees now. So in, in terms of living benefits, how do the guarantees grow during the deferral period? Well, they grow by the roll-up rate and or the, the step-up. And, and actually, I mean, we're talking about one, if there's a contract that has a roll-up rate, we're talking about how that works. There's a completely different way <laughs> that this could work that doesn't have any roll-up rate or benefit base 
but I'll save that discussion when we talk about fixed index annuities so we can talk about a different guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit there. <laughs> For today's purposes, uh, variable annuities would more commonly have roll-ups with step-up opportunities. Another key issue, though, that someone may have missed, and, and you, you're kind of saying this, but I, you know, just to put it out in a specific question, how are guaranteed withdrawals determined? Mm-hmm. So they're determined by taking that payout rate factor, that, that age-based payout rate, if it's 4.5%, if it's 5%, if it's 6%, you take that and you multiply it by the benefit base. And that tells you how much you're allowed to take out and still preserve the guarantee. Okay. So you're spending your own money. You're spending from the contract value. But if you don't exceed the allowed distribution amount, you're preserving the guarantee so that if you ever did deplete the contract value, the guarantee kicks in and continues to pay that, that same promise. And that's amount. what you're paying all those expenses for, ultimately, for the, com- for mm-hmm. the insurance company to manage that. Yeah. And, how does, and, and yeah. the flip side is, how does the insurance company manage those risks? Oh, that's a whole nother. Uh, I think you're looking at a, a slide summarizing what's coming ahead. We, I don't know if we want to jump all the way to that right now, right, but right, that's right, definitely yeah, yeah. a conversation that we'll have. No, well, we talked about it. We talked about it a little bit in the first episode, just in terms of uh, how they have it in investments, and you know, the, the, the insurance company has their own general account, if you will. But you're right. Well, we that's can... that's fixed annuity. Yeah, that's fixed annuities. That's not variable annuities. I got There's you. no general account with these kind of variable annuities because it's more like a brokerage account. You're choosing sub-account okay. investments on your own. So, but, but there are, when you have a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit, that does create risk for the insurance company. And so we can uh, have a whole discussion around how they look to manage that risk. Uh, let's just hold off for a few minutes on that one. Uh, but I guess in terms of what else we might need to mention here, We've talked about how the roll-up rate's not a rate of return, a guaranteed rate of return. It, it just simply is used to calculate the value of the benefit base. Uh, we've talked about step-ups and stacking. Uh, we've, I get, we, we should probably mention, I keep using the term guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit. That's another potential vocabulary point where different insurance companies may call that something different. But there are different types of living benefits that are not guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefits. So what I'm specifically talking about, a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit supports a guaranteed lifetime income without annuitizing the contract. There are others. There's something called a guaranteed minimum income benefit that is just, it would require you to annuitize the contract to get the lifetime income. It's just, well, any any annuity can be annuitized, but it's more, there's going to be a benefit base involved in this one, that hypothetical benefit base, that if you can grow that benefit base, when you annuitize the contract, you might get more spending than you would otherwise get from the contract value. So the guaranteed minimum income benefit just lets you annuitize and get an income based on the benefit base rather than the contract value. There's a guaranteed minimum accumulation benefit that's not related to lifetime income. It's simply providing a minimum growth rate for the underlying contract value. And then there's a guaranteed minimum withdrawal amount benefit that's not lifetime. It's simply allowing you to withdraw a certain amount from the contract, no matter how the market performs, whether it's ensuring that you at least get your premium back 
or if there's a benefit base, at least getting the full amount of the benefit base back, but not necessarily a lifetime income. So to loop back around again, it's the guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit is what's supporting the lifetime income. Got you. Uh, And and that age-based payout schedule is usually going to be lower than SPIAs or DIAs, the single premium immediate annuities or deferred income annuities. That's where the cost of liquidity and the ability for upside growth potential is reflected in. In the worst case market scenario, you're going to get less income. But are you comfortable accepting less income in the worst case scenario to have liquidity for the contract and the upside growth potential? Well, that's kind of why you want to back day, into. It's kind of why you want to back mm-hmm. into your essential expenses. Right, right, and funding the essential expenses would generally cost more with a variable annuity, if you want to assume no step ups happen. Uh, but if you get the step ups, ultimately you you can grow that guaranteed income over time. Another point we should discuss is. And Moshe Malevsky, I mean, he's done everything in retirement income, but he had a great article about insurance companies giving you the temperature in Celsius when all you understand is Fahrenheit. <laughs> and what he meant by that well, is... he is Canadian. You, <laughs> so he would get the Celsius, but I think he was writing that for the American audience that would only understand the Fahrenheit, right? <laughs> yes. But uh, what he was getting at is Fahrenheit is what's the guaranteed income? How much am I going to get from this GLWB benefit? Celsius is, I obscure what that guaranteed income is because I don't tell you what it is directly. Instead, I hide it between, okay, we've got roll-up rates and we got withdrawal rates. I could create a huge roll-up rate and then just apply a low withdrawal rate to it, and you wouldn't necessarily get more guaranteed income out of the contract. But if you're just the salient factor for you is the roll-up rate, and and that's where if you're thinking, oh, I'm getting a 10% guaranteed return on my money. No, you're just getting a 10% roll-up rate. But then if I (laughs) gave you a below typical withdrawal rate to apply to that, it's not more income. And and just an example of that, suppose we're going to get a variable annuity. We're going to defer for for 10 years, it will put $100,000 into a variable annuity and we'll defer for 10 years and then we'll take income. We'll assume we didn't get any step ups. We're just going to use the roll up rate. Suppose contract A has a simple 10% roll up rate and at the age we're going to start distribution. I, I, so I, I need to stop you right, right there uh, just because it's the simple versus compound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, simple is the the. Uh, roll-up rate only applies to the initial premium. You don't get the growth on growth. So in this case, a a 10% simple um, roll-up rate on a $100,000 premium, every year the benefit base increases by $10,000. Whereas if that was 10% compounded, the benefit base would grow by $10,000 in the first year, but in the second year, it would be 10% of now $110,000 or $11,000. And then in the year after that, it's now 10% of $121,000 or like $12,100 and, and so on. You get a much faster growth over time with a compounded roll-up rate. Sorry, wait, I just wanted okay. to do that because I think sometimes you just, it's easy to forget that. Let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by Retirement Researcher. 
You can learn more about Retirement Researcher at retirementresearcher.com and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit. Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So 10% simple, 10-year deferral, 4.5% distribution rate, that would provide me $9,000 of guaranteed income. But if I'm just focused on, oh, the 10% roll-up rate, it may sound really great. Now compare that to another contract that, let's say, has a 6.5% compounded roll-up rate for 10 years. And then instead of a 4.5% withdrawal rate, it has a 5% withdrawal rate. Which do you think sounds better? 10% simple roll-up rate with 4.5% withdrawals or a 6.5% compounded roll-up rate with a 5% withdrawal rate? you have a preference there? Or? Oh, you're asking me. Oh, <laughs> really? oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the, this is the problem, though. You, well, you've you, got to do the calculation. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, quickly <laughs> you would naturally, you see a 10, you see something with two digits, and you're like, wow, give me some of that. But obviously good. it's a loaded question. It's the second one. And, and not only that, you it's a 6.5% compounded. So even if the mm-hmm. distributions maybe were the same level, I, I'd, it'd be interesting to see the math, how that ends up being you know, because the compounded yeah. versus a 10% simple alone could put it over the top, but continue. Right, right. So for a 10-year deferral, 6.5% compounded roll-up, 5% withdrawal, that's $9,386 of guaranteed income. That's $386 more than the 10% simple and 4.5% withdrawal. So that that's this idea of Fahrenheit versus Celsius. People understand what's the guaranteed income, but they get obscured. That gets obscured in these multi-step calculations you have to do by applying the roll-up rate and then applying the withdrawal rate to it. And that I hope also further illustrates that the idea that I could give you a twenty percent roll-up rate, but if I attach that to a very low withdrawal rate, it, it doesn't help you. You're not going to get more guaranteed income so, necessarily. So the reality is the consumer needs to kind of on an Excel spreadsheet look at both of those variables, not just one of them. Right, right. And then the answer does also, we were assuming a 10-year deferral for this calculation, but if you're sure. going to only defer for five years or you're going to defer for more than 10 years, although at some point, but most of the contracts will shut off the roll-up rate at some point around 10 years. But going back but to the roll-up yeah, rate, go on, sorry. No, I mean, just you have to do the calculation for your scenario to see what income will be in the worst case scenario, which is just only looking at roll-ups, uh, ignoring the idea that there could be step-up opportunities as well. And when usually are the roll-ups vested? They're usually vested on the uh, the anniversaries of the, or where this becomes an issue, usually they're vested annually. And so the simple version we're talking about as well, we're generally just looking at annual opportunities for step-ups or roll-ups. But there may be some contracts where you could have even a daily roll-up rate. It's just those roll-ups don't get vested until the end of the year. That's where the vesting issue can come into play, that the you may get a daily roll-up. It's just if you decide after 364 days to start your guaranteed income, those daily roll-ups wouldn't have been vested until you got to the 365th date. So if you wait another day, you get much higher income. Okay. 
And then the other, you, you want to know the term in the money, which is just if the contract value is less than the benefit base, um, then the contract is more valuable, all else being the same, because the potential guaranteed income as a percentage of the contract value would be higher. And that's where if you have a legacy annuity, you've got some annuity that you purchased years ago, it's possible maybe you should have never bought that. Maybe you were sold it at a chicken dinner seminar that we talked about before. Uh, but that being said, looking at it today, if the contract value is much less than the benefit base, there may be no better option out there. This relative to where you are today, it could be a, a good deal for you. You may maybe you should have never entered into it, but that doesn't mean you should give it up as soon as you learn this. Yeah, and what, what, when the contracts in the money, it, it makes it valuable. What you're saying is the market machinations have happened that you can't get that type of benefit in the open market anymore. And you, and you happen right. to, sure, you wouldn't have gotten it to begin with, but chance has worked in your favor and is giving you effectively a mispriced contract, right, if it was to be sold right now. Right, because the benefit base is higher. If yeah. I exchange that contract value into a new annuity, I'd have to reset the whole process of building a benefit base. And given where I'm at with the benefit base on this contract being higher than the contract value, it may be, a, from this point, a decent deal. It's just this, this is an important, maybe it wasn't the best idea. I think this is an important point because I, I think uh, even at McLean or, you know, sometimes folks come in with annuities. And let's say there's an advisor that's a fee-only advisor or something like that, looks at this and automatically they want to flip out of that. You know, they want to do something to sort of just blow it up. Because philosophically, they don't believe in annuities or whatnot. I I I, I think it, it's a buyer beware. It's it's not a just a yeah. Let's get out of this and move on. It, it it could actually happen to be a very good option for that person because of this mispricing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then another point is just on the death benefit side. The standard death benefit is usually the contract value is the death benefit if there's still money in the contract. Uh, that's the death benefit. You can also add optional death benefit riders, which would give you more of a supersized death benefit. One example might be as long as there's at least $1 in the contract, you'll get the whole initial premium returned as a death benefit. So that, that can be an interesting option for someone who doesn't really need income. And maybe this is in a retirement account where there's going to be required minimum distributions. So you can fund those required minimum distributions, but still protect the the initial value of that through this optional death benefit, as long as $1 remains in the contract. You just have to be careful because now the death benefits usually require money to remain in the contract. So you don't want to also, you don't want to have an optional living benefit and an optional death benefit on the same contract (laughs) because with the optional living benefit, you only ever receive any true benefit if you deplete the contract value but then that would sacrifice the death benefit. So they're not compatible with each other. And we didn't spend much time talking about death benefits, but just it's important to be aware that that's out there. And it's another potential use of a variable annuity when you don't need the income. Maybe you're not going to be eligible for getting a new life insurance policy, but you want something. So optional death benefits could be worth looking at in those types of scenarios as well. Okay, and wait, you you had said it. I'll let you talk about it a little bit more because I, even myself, the 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 language can become can get crazy. Like the roll up, stack on step ups. You know, just the alliteration alone is is like whoa, you know, kind of thing. 
And it, and sort of if you do get a step up, do the roll ups have to catch up to the step up, or you know are they stacked upon it? Can you just talk about that a little bit? You mentioned it earlier, but you know I, again, I think these are one of these dynamics that it, it just merits making it crystal clear mm -hmm. as, as possible. Yeah, the stacking thing is interesting because I like I know of at least one company that has a stacking, but they don't even market it, even though it's such a great benefit. And so I was wondering why don't they <laughs> market this? Because it's if you don't have stacking, the the step ups and the roll ups are are kept separate. So the the roll ups continue on the initial premium for as long as until you turn on income, and then the the step ups if you got a new high water mark. You reset the benefit base to that level, but now the rollups aren't doing anything until they catch up because they're below because they're the benefit a, base. The, remember, they're, they're taking they're below independent the paths. Base. Just wanted to, yes, independent paths. Whereas if you do have stacking, what that means is if you got the step up, so your benefit base is higher than where the rollups would have gotten it. Now you reset and you start applying the rollups to that new high watermark benefit base. So that can be valuable. It, it can support higher income depending on the the sequence of returns experienced but there's value there all else being the same mm -hmm. uh, and the other point to just mention in this episode as well we have covered it but to remind everyone and this is often used as a quote-unquote gotcha against the annuity but that's not really what it is you are spending your own money <laughs> you're spending on the contract value And sometimes that's used to say, oh, the annuity doesn't do anything. You're just spending your own money. But no, you're, you're paying for the protection that in the process of spending down your own money, it ever causes the account to deplete. If you're using the 4% rule and your account depletes, you're out of luck. You can't spend anything else. If you have the variable annuity and your account depletes, that's triggering, you paid for this insurance that triggers okay, the guaranteed income that you had, the withdrawal rate times the benefit base, that spending amount continues. You continue to receive that payment for the rest of your life, even after spending down the contract value. So that that's what's happening, and that's a valuable benefit. That's, that's another but, point that I see, and this is what, I see this sometimes where sort of the gotcha kind of thing where someone comes in with actually a variable annuity, With living benefits and it's it's fine you know it's actually a, a fine contract from the standpoint of insurance and the like and someone's been paying let's say 15 years on this thing and all of a sudden they change advisors for whatever reason and the knee advisor just says hey we're out of here we're out of there we're going to blow this up and sometimes because they say look look how expensive this fee is but they're not taking into account that no it's expensive because you've been paying insurance and not only that you've been paying for 15 years Already, And then all of a sudden now in the moment of truth, you're going to, you know, when it's getting closer to the moment of truth, you're going to just walk away. It's one of those mm -hmm. that I, you know, I find it always like you're, I'm always remiss when something like that happens. Yeah. And that could be a sunk cost where it doesn't really matter that you've been paying for 15 years. But what does matter is if that contract is in the money, it could be negligent to sacrifice the contract because you just don't like variable annuities or, or whatever the case may be. That's where you have to be very careful when you're looking at these older contracts that someone may have and evaluating whether it's worthwhile to keep them. So wait, I just succumbed to the sunk cost fallacy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like, I paid you for did. it, damn it. <laughs> I paid for it, damn it. I'm gonna, come hell or high water, gonna I'm going gonna, gonna to force the issue. <laughs> <laughs> but Alex, you did earlier in the episode mention the, about how does the insurance company manage the risks. And that's such a big topic that I think it could be a good cliffhanger. And maybe we'll not try to make this episode super lengthy, but we'll we'll come back in the next episode and talk about the risk management and then go through a series of questions and factors that to help summarize what we've been talking about, things you want to know about the annuity contract. And if you're trying to understand how the variable annuity works, what, what all you want to make sure you do understand for that. And so we'll save that for a separate second episode on variable annuities. That sound good to you there? Uh, do I have a choice? <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, you're just along for the ride. Yeah, this thing. I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. No, no, no. Mo- okay. mo- mo- most definitely. <laughs> All right, everyone. We'll, we'll catch you next week, or as we say between Wade and I, in about five minutes. <laughs> right, right. Yep. Part two. <laughs> Part two on variable annuities coming up. Coming next up. Week. Thanks for listening. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results. 